Do you love the Disruptors? If so, I want to tell you about a new mini-series that we're launching, Disruptors Future Snippets, where we take high-action concepts from our world-leading guests and distill them down to three to five-minute bite-sized chunks for you to enjoy and inspire your day. If you're interested in checking out the Disruptors Future Snippets, to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, go to disruptors.fm slash pod iTunes. And to subscribe on Android, go to disruptors.fm slash pod Android. These episodes won't be in your main feed. We're just popping a couple of them in here now to see how you enjoy them. And if you do, remember to go and subscribe again, disruptors.fm slash pod iTunes for Apple Podcast and disruptors.fm slash pod Android for Android. And now without further ado, I give you Disruptors Future Snippets, your shortcut to the future and more. Welcome to The Disruptors, the podcast about the future of all of us, where we look at the technologies, trends, and societal norms shaping our collective future. Hear the world's top minds share their insights and predictions on the convergence, direction, and ethics of exponential technologies transforming life as we know it. You can learn more and stay up to date at disruptors.fm. If you're like most people, you're not a fan of lawyers. Good news, we have the world's most interesting lawyer on the program, Franz Vanderdunk. He's focused on, of all things, space law and what goes into ownership and property rights in space. He's a professor of space law at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, director of Black Holes, the consultancy, and generally regarded as one of, if not the world-leading expert when it comes to space law. He served as advisor to numerous governments, the European Commission, ESA, the United Nations, OECD, and pretty much all of the major players when it comes to getting to space and understanding the implications of it. We'll get into piracy, space exploration, space mining, and much, much more. So speaking of asteroid mining, I know there's been a little bit of controversy here. Essentially, most countries aren't of the opinion you can take stuff and own it. The U.S. is like, go for it. Take whatever you want. Can you dive a little bit deeper into asteroid mining, why yeah. it's important, and space law side? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, the problem is, and, and we talked about this earlier, that the Outer Space Treaty, in a in number of respects, you know, uh, is outdated in the sense that it didn't foresee a number of, of developments. This is one example there, one other example there was, because in 1967, nobody seriously thought it would of interest to try and, and commercially mine the moon or asteroids, which, by the way, legally speaking, I know that, uh, you know, from a physical perspective, they're totally different, but legally speaking, they're in the same basket, so, so we can treat them as one and the same for legal purposes. So nobody in the 60s thought that, that mining those celestial bodies would make any sense. So there is no clause in the Outer Space Treaty which says something specific about it. The, close, the clause coming closest to being relevant, and I'm sorry for that complex formulation, is the same clause which prohibits colonization. Because the way I usually frame it is that this creates a kind of a global commons, but it doesn't say anything about how to treat resources in that commons. And that's where divine uh, opinions diverge. You see, on the one hand, uh, the approach which is most vocally supported, I should say, by, by Russia, which says that if outer space is a global commons, if it belongs to all states, as for space mining, that is another example of why the Outer Space Treaty is in some respects outdated or not, let me put it slightly differently, not sufficiently tailored for these times. Because in, back in the 60s when it was concluded, nobody reasonably thought that the moon or, or asteroids 
would be subject to something like space mining. And, and by the way, I know that physically speaking, they're totally different, totally different order, but the moon and asteroids in a legal sense are all in the same basket. So we can treat them as they are the same, as if they're the same kind of thing. And again, the 1967 treaty did not address that. The only thing it did was create this absence of territorial sovereignty. And that allows for two different, basically for two different interpretations. One line of interpretation, which is most vocally defended by, by the Russians, I should say, is the argument that because outer space belongs to everyone, it is, it is not a single state's territory, that also means that the resources in outer space should be somehow shared by all states. That there should be an international regime, one way or another, determining who, under what circumstances, might actually be allowed to go there and mine those resources. So, an international heavy regime, which is, of course, also from an economic perspective, something which may stifle development, because if you're spending or interested in spending billions and going there, you expect that you can generate, earn all the revenues. And if there is some heavyweight international system uh, taking away part of your control, you might not like it in the first place. So that's why the United States in particular and some other countries as well have taken the opposite stance and argued, well, this is basically something like a global commons. So while no one can reserve the global commons or call it part of the national territory and exclusively exercise control and power over it, all states are in principle entitled to benefit from it or allow their private sector to benefit from it as long as they or the private sector complies with international uh, law that is applicable. So these are the two positions. To give a little bit more of an illustration, the Russian position basically is similar to uh, what happens currently with regard to the ocean floor, where you have a legal regime which has an international licensing authority. So any company from anywhere in the world needs an international license before he or she can actually start harvesting whatever resources they're looking for in the ocean floor. The United States is not a party to that, as one of the few countries, I should say, partly because it is fundamentally against this idea that there should be an international community, international organization, institution, determining whether a private company can work there. So the opposite illustration, which is the one that the United States, and I should add Luxembourg, because Luxembourg has made a law roughly similar to the US one, and some others as well are upholding and saying, well, no, we can treat outer space like the high seas, which is another global cause. Uh, the high seas is, again, not subject, by definition, not subject to territorial jurisdiction. No single state can say, this part of the high seas is mine and everybody else stays out, and I'm the only one who can determine who is entitled to pick the fish there. No, that is not possible. But it is possible, of course, for fishermen from every nation in particular, in, in, you know, whatsoever, to go there to piece of the high seas, take the fish, you know, grab it out of the water, and then make a living in doing so. And that's obviously what has happened over hundreds, if not thousands of years. So that is the parallel that the United States sees. And they say, well, as long as these fishing companies comply with the laws, in that case, the laws of the sea, uh, about overfishing, about prohibition on whaling and, and catching dolphins and pollution, as long as they comply with this set of international rules, they're good to go and they can make the money. And that's the, that's the regime that they would also like to see for space mining. Now, because of the political divergence and the fact that Russians and some others do not agree with that, there is now a political discussion going on in the international context, which, you know, which way this ultimately should end up to. And hopefully they will come to some sort of agreement. Because the worst of all situations is that you have a number of states saying private operators, well, as far as we are concerned, you're good to go, you know, do your best, 
try to make money. And then another set of countries saying, this is illegal. Uh, whatever they bring back, we treat that just like blood diamonds, right? Uh, illegal uh, goods, not, uh, you know, not subject to trade. If they fall in our hands, we will seize them. If we are able to lay our hands on those who try to sell them, we will prosecute them in court. That's not a very nice situation. You know? So we should, in a political discussion, hopefully be able to build a more detailed, clear, transparent, etc., etc., legal regime to allow that to happen. If you want more of The Disruptors, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or go to disruptors.fm, where you'll find tons of audio and video interview stories with leaders in the fields of genetics, cryptocurrency, longevity, AI, space, VR, and much, much more. You can also follow me on Twitter at MattWardIO. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a quick review on iTunes at disruptors.fm slash iTunes to help more people discover the podcast and help us make a bigger impact.